Good morning. Scripture reading today comes from John chapter 14, 1 through 12, and then 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And now 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and despised things and things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Before I get started here, I want to uh, remind you that we've got a short time of Q&A, questions and answers, right after uh, we hear this sermon and want to give you a chance to um, interact a little bit with me, especially given the topic that we're going to cover today. Uh, so jot down any questions and feel free to ask them then or even later on. But also, uh, tomorrow evening, we have our first in a long time uh, Brewing Belief Discussion Group. This is a chance for people that are investigating the Christian faith, maybe exploring questions, doubts, hard issues, uh, who want to work through them in conversation together with me and others. Um, so we meet at Meridian Pint, just down the street, uh, 7.30 tomorrow evening. Come one, come all. Um, and any question is fair game. And uh, just a, a fun, safe way uh, for us to work through um, our 
journey of doubts and questions and uh, issues. So come out to that. Would love to see you there. And you can talk more about whatever you hear in the next few minutes as well. Okay. Let me say a word of prayer and then we'll begin. God, thank you for this time for us to uh, think our thoughts after you, to hear about your son Jesus, uh, to have our lives, Lord willing, be changed. Uh, Our lives, our minds, our hearts. For that to happen, we need the power of your spirit. And so we pray that you would come near and bless our hearing, bless my speaking. Please do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are today starting a new teaching series after a couple of weeks of talking about our church vision. And this new series, we're calling it Too Hard to Believe. Too Hard to Believe, because for the next four weeks, we're going to talk through common barriers to belief. Uh, Things that make it maybe just too hard for you or maybe a neighbor, a friend of yours, someone in your life, too hard to believe the Christian gospel, too hard for you to embrace Jesus Christ as the hope of the world. And so in the coming weeks, we're going to examine different questions and doubts and barriers that maybe you've had on your mind or have come up in conversation with friends or colleagues recently, things like, uh, there's just too much, too much, fire and brimstone in Christianity. Too much judgment coming from a God who evidently at the same time is supposed to be loving and forgiving. What's the deal with that? Or the Bible is too backwards. Written long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away uh, by a bunch of human authors. And if I don't believe the Bible is the so-called word of God, then why should I believe anything else it says about God or the Christian faith? Or there's just too much suffering and pain in the world for me to believe in a good God and a loving God. Different questions, issues, barriers that we'll tackle over the next couple of weeks. So please do feel encouraged to bring friends, neighbors, colleagues who you think might be helped by such a discussion or bring yourselves. Come back again. Today, this is what we're going to talk about. This idea, this suggestion, this belief that Christianity is just too exclusive. There are so many religions or views of God, so how can there just be one true religion? Just one way to God. How can that possibly be? Maybe you've thought that recently. Maybe you believe that with all your heart. Maybe today you're a professing Christian, or you once considered yourself a professing Christian, But lurking in the back of your mind, or maybe not in the back of your mind, maybe up front in your conversation, this absolutely reflects your belief. Too exclusive. Can't we be more embracing? What's wrong with all these other religions that are out there? What I want to do is unpack this idea. I'm going to do that by sort of explicating, unpacking three different beliefs that I believe are embedded inside of this barrier. Three different beliefs that lie underneath this objection. We'll talk about that a little bit, offer some responses based on today's passages, and then I'll give you a little chance to interact a little bit. The first belief, 
that I think is implicit in or underneath this barrier of the exclusivity of Christianity is this. This belief that all religions lead to God, they're essentially all the same. All religions lead to God. And I understand why we feel this way or why we even want to believe this about the nature of God and reality. In this day and age, we all know many, many people that hold different beliefs, especially in a place like this neighborhood, like this city. You are bumping into people all the time coming from different religious traditions, some of whom who have become dear friends, wonderful neighbors. And sometimes you like them more than you like people in your own faith tradition. Or you're closer with them. And so there's this emotional tug and pull to want to say, I don't know if I want to separate myself from them in what feels like such a judgmental and condemning way. Can't we all just get along? Speaking of which, I think there is a good desire in this. A desire for peace. In unity. And how are we going to live together in peace? Even in this neighborhood, you might be thinking, if each religion sees all the others as false and other believers are seen as inferior. And I do think oftentimes there is a genuine and honorable longing to see and to find or to believe in a salvation that is as broad and as far-reaching as possible. So that you might be able to offer hope for as many people in as many ways as possible. And so therefore, to say there is only one way just seems opposite or against the grain of every impulse in your heart to say, but I want everyone to know God and to have God. I get this. It comes from a lot of great places, and I think there's a lot of reasonable reasons why we hold on to this belief. In fact, the Christian Bible does affirm that God is so generous in the way that he shares himself with the world that there are aspects of truth in all major religions. Yes, in fragmentary form, No, not the entirety of it all, but even the Christian Bible would say there is the truth of God scattered all throughout the world. Whether if it's in the book of Proverbs, where you see the writers looking to nature itself and drawing principles, divine, eternal principles that can be applied to all of life. Looking at trees, the way things grow, the way that ants work diligently, all these things embedded in nature. Or truth embedded even in the thoughts and writings of non-Jesus following people. In the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul, as he's talking to the Athenians, he's quoting modern poets in order to connect with them and to say there's wonderful truth about God even here in your writings. Fiction, philosophy, poetry, literature. All these different things. And it is absolutely true that there is a lot of agreement across religious systems, at least when you're looking at the different moral codes, love your neighbor, or the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But here's the thing, friends. If you go beyond the surface similarities, 
what you start to find is that these faith traditions, religions are quite different when they talk about the nature of God and how human beings relate to God. Take, for example, the person of Jesus Christ. We actually see some of these very real differences in the first of today's passages. The Gospel of John, where Jesus here is talking with his disciples about his eventual departure back to heaven. And they're talking about where he's going and how he'll bring them to be one with God as he will be one with God. And here Jesus in verse 6, John 14, 6, saying, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Of course, the central figures of all other world religions, Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius, they point you to the way, they would say, or they teach you the truth, or they give you spiritual or ethical resources for life. But none of them ever claim to be the way or to be the truth or to be the life. It's a completely different offering that you find coming out of the mouth and the heart of Jesus. The modern pluralist says, hey, it's just enough just to believe in God. Here in verse 1, Jesus says something different. You believe in God, believe also in me. The devout Jew says, with true monotheistic conviction, there's only one true God. God is one. And Jesus in verse 10 says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? But then also in verse 12, at the end there, he says, I'm not the Father, I'm going to the Father. In other words, in some mysterious way, Jesus and the Father are one God, and yet at the same time, separate persons. Of course, we're talking about two-thirds of the Christian idea of God as a trinity. The Muslim would say, God cannot debase himself by taking on human flesh too holy, too majestic. And yet in verse 7, Jesus says, if you really knew me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And in verse 9, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus, undeniably here, claiming to be God in human flesh. See, it's easy for us to say, and it's popular to say, all religions are equally true and equally valid, and they all are basically the same view of the same God. But what we're encountering here, first of all, is that that cannot be true. So divergent are their characterizations of God and how we know Him. One might be right... All of them might be wrong, but they cannot all be simultaneously true. Because they're making contradictory statements about the nature of God. I mean, you might have two people, two of you that come and approach me and claim to know me personally, might even claim to call me a friend. They say... You know me very well. One person comes up and says, well, I know you. You grew up in California. The other person says, no, I know you. You grew up in Texas. Why else would you be named something like Duke? (laughs) 
The other person comes to me and says, I know you, you are 36 years old. The other person says, no, you are 66 years old. First person says, I know you, you're an L.A. Lakers fan. The other person says, no, I think he's a Boston Celtics fan. I'm telling you, one person knows the real me, even on the basis of basic details and facts about who I am and what I like. The other person doesn't, because I tell you, by the laws of nature and logic, I cannot be a Celtics fan. (laughs) Word? Is that what I heard? Amen? Friends, Different faiths might claim to be describing the nature of the one God. But there's a point at which the characterizations are so different. The God that they're describing is so different, you no longer have the same God before you. It's so common to make sweeping statements like all religions are essentially the same, I'm simply starting here by urging you to do a little bit of the good hard work of homework. To know what you're really saying when you say that, and sometimes so easily. Okay, belief number two. Belief number two. No religion is more right or wrong than any other. It's similar to the first belief, but a little bit of a different nuance. No religion is any more right than the others, nor more wrong than any others. Just a couple months ago when the Olympics were on, Paula and I, we enjoyed watching a lot of, lot of Olympics. Uh, I don't know if you did as well, staying up late at night. And they went on so late. Uh, every night. But one of our favorites is watching, uh, women's gymnastics. Uh, you only see it, got a big, Hurrah over here from Carolyn. Uh, you only get to see it really basically once every four years. I know there are the world championships, but that's not televised in quite the same way. It's an exciting sort of thing and wonderful to see a dear American young lady, Gabby Douglas, win the All-American gold medal uh, in just uh, an exciting, exciting time. Let's picture that you are there at the Olympic competition scene, and you are there in the gymnasium watching Gabby and the other young ladies compete. And you're near enough to the floor where you're able to actually have a conversation with Miss Douglas. And let's just say you went up to her and you said, uh, you know, how can we really know who's better than the other? You know, and, 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 and look, as far as I can see, all the gymnasts performed equally well. Why don't we just give a gold medal to everybody? And she might say to you, uh, who are you? And who made you an Olympic judge? And you might immediately say, hey, I'm not, I'm not claiming to be an Olympic judge here. I'm not trying to be a judge. I'm simply just trying to make sure that none of you girls are hurt or disappointed. I'm doing this for you. And she might respond, I know you're trying to be inclusive, but you see, you just made yourself the judge of all gymnastic judges by looking out and saying, we just all performed the same. And we did not. And in fact, what you're proposing to do is quite exclusive because you're excluding my chance to win the gold medal. Now, I don't know if the analogy works perfectly well, but listen, when people say no religion is more right or wrong than the other, 
or you can't know which religion is true or which perspective on God is true. I know we're just trying to be inclusive and embracing, but do we realize that we just made a massive religious statement in saying that all religions are essentially different paths to the one same God. Watch out, you just anointed yourself the supreme evaluator of all of reality and religion. Did you realize that? And I know we're just trying to be inclusive in saying these sorts of things, but do you realize that we've actually become very exclusive? Excluding any other view except the one that adopts your view that all religions are the same. Where you're saying all religious beliefs are equally valid except the belief that not all religious beliefs are equally valid. That no religious view is the only way except for the view that I just stated. An exclusive proposal about the reality of God. You are doing, we are doing in those moments, the very thing that we say we cannot do. My dear friend, stop being so exclusive. Do you see? But in fact, you can't stop being exclusive. See, Christianity isn't the only exclusive faith tradition that proposes a positive view of God and about how God is going to make this world right. Every view that takes a stand for something, for the nature of God, for salvation, excludes other competing and conflicting beliefs. It's absolutely unavoidable. So the real question for us is simply which exclusive belief is actually true? and satisfying to the human heart. Well, the Christian, yes, I guess you can call it exclusive account of this world, is that there's a God who actually cares about evil and suffering in the world. In other words, a God of justice. And this same God is a God who cares about me and about you. Forgiving and loving and accepting, in other words, a God of mercy. And what the Christian gospel is saying is that there was only one way for God to remain a God of justice and mercy. Only one way for the world to be a place where evil is called evil and where forgiveness is possible at the same time, and that's in the cross of Jesus Christ, where God himself can come in human form and stand in as our representative, sinful, selfish, self-addicted people like me, like you. And for a God who wants to forgive and restore this relationship between himself and another person and yet cannot compromise his justice, cannot simply say, don't worry about it, see you later. In which case you'd have a God of mercy and no God of justice. And if you don't have a God of justice with you, then you won't have a God of justice with all the terrible brokenness and suffering and hardship in this world and neighborhood that that I know you care about. And yet, if all you have is a God of justice, 
then you have no hope for mercy, no hope for forgiveness. And in the cross of Christ is where the justice of God and the mercy of God kiss. Because there you have the just punishment that every single one of those of us who embrace Jesus as our substitute and representative before God. Jesus, you stand in my place. He took the just punishment that I deserve which then flows to me as mercy and forgiveness. So that justice is satisfied and flows to me as the rich, abundant, loving kindness of God. The Christian gospel says there was only one way that God could bring these two pieces together. And what I want to propose to you is, isn't this the God that we most deeply desire? A God who is both at the same time. Just and merciful. If you can conceive of a different way that God can pull that off, I'd love to hear it. The Christian gospel is the only one that proposes a satisfying solution to this great conundrum. Yes, it's exclusive in one sense if you want to describe it that way. But it's exclusive in the way that one wonderful lasting cure can cure exclusively a disease that's ravaging the human race. Exclusive love. Exclusive grace. Thirdly, and last belief here, and cover this quickly, it's this belief that it's arrogant to say that you've got it right. Isn't it just arrogant? Isn't it even dangerous, intolerant, to say that you actually understand the nature of God and have the right religious system in place? Isn't this the reason for so much oppression and violence and abuse in the name of religion? The answer is yes. Religion is a part of what's wrong with this world. Because it's true that many religious people, including many professing Christians, handle their beliefs with terrible and even at least annoying arrogance. In condescending towards others that disagree with them. Condescending towards other faiths. I admit that I've been guilty of this at times. Sure. And it's interesting how religion actually does tend to attract people who love to be right or need to be right and so often simply use a religious system to justify themselves. We tend towards that as well. And this is the thing. We are so tired, especially in this noisy, violence-prone World, so tired of people handling their beliefs in an arrogant, divisive, even violent manner. And it's so seldom that we ever see people holding to true, solid convictions, but in a humble way. I wonder if we've convinced ourselves that the only way to avoid religious arrogance is simply to believe that all religions are true. I wonder if this is just the only alternative that we're able to come up with. And then at the same time, I wonder if the Christian gospel offers something that can give us what we're really looking for. 
which is the ability to hang on to solid, true convictions about God and ourselves and reality, something that is worth banking your whole life on. Don't you want that? And yet a truth, a foundation that keeps you humble and respectful and loving of people that even disagree with you and sometimes even who hate you. The second passage in our reading today was an excerpt from a letter that the Apostle Paul was writing to a church in a city, Corinth, that was absolutely obsessed with social status, class, reputation, intellectual elitism. And here he is trying to correct their heart. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world, you, to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world, namely you, to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. In other words, what Paul is saying, if you agree and believe that God chose to set his saving love upon you, if you are one that bears the name of Christ, who is your wisdom and righteousness and holiness and redemption, then what does that make you? Foolish, weak, lowly, despised. So that, we're told in verse 9, no one may boast before him, before themselves, and before others as though they are the grounds for their own being made right in the sight of God. This is the story, the unique story of the Christian gospel. That salvation is by the grace of God. In other words, as a gift, a free gift from God offered to those who simply are able to be realistic and honest about their broken state before God. Sinful and unable to change themselves who can stand up and say the two hardest words for a human heart to say, I can't. And then to hear with joyful gratitude Jesus through all eternity hanging on the cross saying, but I can pay for your sins. Earn your righteous standing before God. Become the reason of all reasons for which your Father can love you and pour out His kindness and favor upon you. Why, friends, is there so much arrogance among religious people and even among Christians? Because we believe that God chose the smart things of the world. Because we believe that God chose the strong things of the world, and I'm so glad I'm counted among them. Because we believe God chose the impressive, the great, the morally able, the good. And see how different the good news of God's grace is 
Because it says you don't need to be any of those things. In fact, you can't be, hard though you may try. All you need to be is helpless, impoverished, unable to save yourself, and joyfully and humbly willing to admit that Jesus alone did everything that needed to be done to make you right. Do you see, friends, of all the exclusive truths and exclusive depictions and portrayals of God that are out there, could it be that the Christian good news of Jesus Christ is the most inclusive of all exclusive religious systems? Because it doesn't matter what your personal background was. Doesn't matter what your social standing is. Doesn't matter where you grew up. Doesn't matter how much oppression and violence was in your home. Doesn't matter how much money you make. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter, doesn't matter. Anyone can find their way, or rather be found in the way. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus who says, look, I'm not here just to show you how to strive to be right with God. I did the striving for you. Where he says, look, I'm not here just to show you the path that you need to take. I took the path. And I walked it in a way that you would never be able to walk it with perfect love and perfect justice and all that will count on your moral record if you would just embrace me. Where he says, not here's just the things you need to do. I did it all. Here's not the life that you just need to live and earn your way into God's pleasure. I lived it. Here's a gift, the pleasure of God upon you. There's a power of grace There's a power of a gift that can humble you because you know the only thing you did to receive it was open your arms and say thank you. If we get that, the heart of the Christian gospel, not mere religion, which is what a lot of professing Christians make the Christian faith, not mere morality, Do good Christian good deeds and therefore earn your favor before God, which is what a lot of Christians, we all can make our faith into. But grace, this unique thing that we find in the gospel, and grace has the power to humble you. And grace has the power to give you a foundation of your convictions that you believe in, that you want to bank your life on, and yet it still keeps you humble, winsome, attractive, able to interact with people in a respectful way, able to step into disagreements, even able to love your enemies. Don't we want a faith like that? Even if you disagree with a Christian faith, even if you're on the outside of a barrier that you don't feel like you're able to surmount, maybe it's not the one we're talking about today. Maybe we're getting to it in the next couple of weeks. But do you see the unique offering that's here? Could it be true? Or if you're a Christian, is it true for you? Maybe something that can be renewed 
and re-empowered in your life today. Let's pray. Jesus, we do look to you asking that you'd make more of your grace the empowering reality in our lives. Making us humble, gentle, patient, loving as we process and work through these things that we believe. Pray that you would also answer whatever questions and uncertainties people may have here today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.